Hello and welcome to this episode of the Symposium of the Lotus Eaters. Today we are joined by Bo. Hello. All right. And we are going to talk about the Stoicism of Epictetus. Now, Stoicism is a very weird uh, philosophy. Uh, many people look up to it. It has some brilliant insights, I think. But there's a big question to be debated as we to whether it can be a good system of philosophy. Personally, I think that many philosophers, individually speaking, have really good insights. But when they try to create a system out of those insights, usually those those systems generate plenty of nonsense. Mm. And <laughs> I'm not certain that Stoicism avoids that. Now, let's say from the very beginning, what is your op opinion of, on Stoicism? What do you think about it yeah. in a general way? Manner. Sure, sure. I've got quite mixed things about it. I actually agree with what you said there. Yeah. I think there's big chunks of it which are brilliant, really great, great axioms to live your life by in real term, in real time. Uh, and then there's other bits yeah. I think I, I profoundly disagree with. Exactly. Yeah. I think are entirely wrong-headed um, and we can get into it. So, I mean, I did, um, I, I've read um, a lot of the meditations, Marcus Aurelius and a fair chunk, big chunks of Seneca. And we're doing Epictetus. Epictetus. How Epictetus, do you pronounce it? Yeah. Epictetus. Epictetus. Yeah. But, well, now you pronounce it. You tell okay. me how you pronounce it. because I think you, it's Epictetus. You know, Epictetus. Yes. I probably stopped attempting that. Yes. Uh, but I've heard it pronounced Greek, a few different Epictetus. ways. And you're Greek. So whatever you say is correct. Um, and uh, But I will sort of stop attempting to pronounce it correctly. Um, but yeah, so... His writings, I read, it's quite short, isn't it? I read all of his writings for this. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say half of it maybe I thought was just really good and interesting and yeah. correct. Um, but a good half of it, maybe not quite half of it, I, I very, very much disagreed with. I don't know where he where where he's got some of these ideas from. And But Stoicism in general, I think quite often for the for the small stuff in life yeah. um it, it works it's good it's okay. helpful but for some of the bigger things so you you described it as a system yes. a system for living your life or for viewing the world it does fall apart for me in some quite profound ways it's important to talk about it though and shed more light on it because many people look up to it and you know mm. if you see mm. if you check motivational videos on YouTube for instance mm. they frequently talk about stoicism and they talk about the mm. stoic mentality I think that to one extent that's healthy but as you say to another extent it's unhealthy yeah what about uh, talking a bit about stoicism then about Epictetus then talk a bit from about his work and then proceed to ask questions such as whether stoicism leads to fatalism mm -hmm. whether it is an attitude a doctrine both and if so what's the healthy dosage of stoicism that's a really good way of putting it um what degree is good because i think if you get dogmatic about it it can yes. lead to fatalism i think you've hit the nail on the head right away there the word fatalism that yes. it can lead to that a defeatism i think so um or a an unhealthy degree of pacifism. That, that, that's my opinion as All well. All these things, right. I, I okay. mean, I may be wrong, but I think that you have something there. It's that it's right. So the thing is that the main Sto... Uh, let's say this, that uh, the main um, Stoic writings that we have are four. We have two by Epictetus, one by Seneca, and one by Marcus Aurelius. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, by Epictetus, we have the Enchiridion. It's something like, like a manual or handbook of Stoicism. The Discourses. By Seneca, we have uh, various letters. Mm. And I think it's uh, compiled together and called Letters from a Stoic. At least that's the way that interpreters and those who put together the book call it. And by Marcus Aurelius, we have the famous meditations. Now, all of these Stoics have differences, but they also have significant commonalities. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk a bit about Stoicism and then about Epictetus. So the, I think that the main Stoic insight is that we should not be control freaks. Hmm. Yeah. That we don't yeah. control everything. And yeah. in fact, we control very few things. Mm. And that a sort of wisdom, the Stoic wisdom, is the wisdom to know the difference between what is up to us and what is not. What is, in a way, under our control and what mm. is not. Mm. And Stoics think that if you want to live a happy life, you need to be wise and you need to practice accordingly. They think that if you have the correct views about something and if you have the correct uh, understanding of the of value, you will most probably act accordingly. So in that respect, they were like Socrates, they were intellectualists. They thought that every person is motivated to act in the way that they think is the best way to act. They don't believe in what is called frequently weakness of will, will that sometimes we can think that something is uh, the best course of action and do otherwise. This is a, a very long discussion in mm. ancient ethics and especially it becomes very prevalent with discussions of free will later later on. But uh, they don't, Stoics are not generally speaking in favor of free will in the strong sense, in the sense that other things being equal, we could have done otherwise. They're usually speaking determinists and I think to, to an extent they're fatalists. Okay, so that's the main insight that we are we we should not be control freaks. And the thing is, where it becomes a bit weird is that they give a proposal of how to understand of where the line between what we control and what we don't lies ultimately. Right. And they say that ultimately, what is up to us is our assent to things. So it's we are, don't control how we react. We don't control what happens to us, we only control how we react in a psychological sense. So they, th they, they focus on what is called internal freedom or the achievement of an internal mental state, which they think constitutes the good life and they call it ataraxia. It's the state where the soul is not disturbed by the passions. They thought that, for instance, the good life is the life of the person who ha whose soul is not disturbed by the passions. Mm. So the whole enterprise of Stoicism is geared around or is focused on achieving a sort of self-mastery in that sense, in the sense of silencing the passions. Mm. And you could say in a way, living in the world, but not being of the world, mm. as mm. I think some uh, sages have been characterized, especially in early Christianity. I mean, right there, I don't necessarily entirely agree with that. Yeah. So be a robot then. Don't have emotions. I mean, no, no, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll just opt out of that if that's all right. I mean, again, in, in, on a small scale, that's totally not a bad idea. You know, to get in a rage about the fact you're stuck in traffic, for example, is a classic example. Yes. You're stuck in traffic and it's just not in your control anymore. You've got to sit there 
Yes. And and be bored. It's completely out of your control now. So yeah, be stoic about it. Um, yeah, don't go on a, uh, a rampage. Yeah, yeah. In the sense, just uh, master your your emotions, your passions, your your rage, whatever it is. Um, yeah, okay. But to apply it to everything in life, you know, like the, the yes. death of your own child. Don't be too emotional about it. We'll I'm, get sorry, there. sorry yeah. I'm getting ahead of no, myself. No, no, but sorry. I think that's a major point, and it illustrates a lot about sorry. how they view death ethics and this. But I, I agree with you that yeah. I think there, what is really healthy in Stoicism is a focus on the idea that we don't control everything. Mm. That and, is the key, isn't it? It's about control. Yes. What you can and can't control. What is or isn't in your power. Yes. Right. And I think that to an extent, this can make us a bit more humane. In the sense that when we meditate upon the human condition and we understand our limitations, we stop expecting everything from other people. So for instance, it seems to me that the, parad the paradigm of a non-stoic approach is that taken by some spoiled children who, say, who ask everything of their parents. And uh, if their parents cannot deliver what they ask of them, mm. they just say, oh, you're bad. <laughs> Fly to the moon. If you don't, you're bad. You're a bad person if you don't buy me a palace or, some, or get me a palace. That, that is a non-stoic mentality. It's a mentality that you could say that it is a bit inhumane, especially, I mean, okay, it, it's to be expected from children, of some children at least. Mm. And, uh, but if we heard that from an adult, we would say that that, uh, that person is, it's not a good person, maybe. Like it's, a child who insists her father buys her a golden goose. Yes. And goes mad when he can't or won't. Yes. And I think that part of hum being humane with respect to our relations has to do with sort of putting ourselves, uh, how to go on another person's shoes. Mm. Try to see how things are seen from uh, the perspective of another person, but also try to meditate on some features of human life not necessarily seen through the perspective of another. But for instance, we have limitations. We can't fly, for instance. Mm, we live right. a particular, uh, we have lives of a particular range. Mm, mm. We, we can't expect someone to live 200 years, for instance. That's why here I'm gonna criticize along the way um, various elements of, of stoicism. But just to make it clear, I think loads of it is extremely good. Yes. <laughs> lots and lots of it is, is very, very helpful. Um, for example, come to terms with the fact that you're not seven foot one and going to be a professional basketball player. Yeah. Come to terms with the fact, perhaps, that you simply haven't got the cognitive ability to be an astronaut or something. Yeah. You know, come to terms with the fact that you're going to die. Yeah. That the people you love that are older than you, you're going to see them die. Things like that. That is very, very helpful. Yes. You know, how do you deal with? Misery and disappointment. How do you cope? I know the word cope has been you get used in all different ways these days, um, mainly as sort of a trolling term. But you have to cope in life with loads of disappointments, profound exactly. disappointments. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. Life is tough and you have to come to terms with some bad things. Yes. So, um, and stoicism definitely helps with yes. that in some really big ways. So It's the sure, idea that sure. you should not break, cultivate that sort of self-mastery that allows you to get by in a way and right. also yeah. flourish. Um, keeping calm, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, this, keeping calm and carrying right. on. Right, yeah, yeah, because it's easy said and done. Yes. Right, especially when there's something 
you've lost something you can't replace. And sometimes in life that you even hit a, a state of panic. Yes. Sometimes. Or despair. He, Depression. He, here Stoicism is where, can help. It can help, but here is where I think that uh, it can also be a bit inhumane in that they would say that you should they would try to teach people not to feel sorrow. So if the, the ideal is lack mm. of disturbance of the soul they, uh, and sorrow disturbs the soul because it is a passion that is corrosive of our, let's say, Zen-like yeah. mode of being, yeah. it seems that they sort of say that in some cases, if bad things happen to people or to yourself or to people that you should, shouldn't feel sorrow that it is not worth it if you really be in tune with the universe mm. i don't think that's unfair so, some you know friends of stoicism may think that i'm completely unfair of this please tell us in the comments but i think that this is somewhere where stoicism is a bit it becomes a bit inhumane yeah i think things like sorrow sort of profound sorrow it's, it's almost certainly well, in my opinion it is healthier to go through that phase then yes don't pretend you're not sad yes don't pretend you're such a one with the universe that you're not sad that someone you loved died in a horrible way right in front of you or something yes you're just gonna pretend that it's it's neither here nor there i mean yeah. come on let's be real you're, again you're not a robot so we're going to proceed now to focus on the Enchiridion by Epictetus. <clears throat> and let us talk a bit about short biographical okay. facts. Yeah. So Epictetus was the son of a woman slave born between 50 and 60 AD at Hierapolis in Phrygia. Can I just say one thing quick right there, just to make it clear? Yeah. AD. Yeah. So he's not in the same, he's not one of the classical sort of Athenian philosophers. This is uh, no. the, in the Roman period. This is in the early Imperial Roman period. Yes, it is. Uh, so it's not the fifth century BC. Yeah. It's, sorry, yes. go on. Just wanted to make that clear no, no, to everyone. By all means, just I think interject. That's, I think that's important. Yes, yeah, so, so Stoicism was is supposed to have started around 300 BC in Athens by Zeno of uh, Citium. Uh, I think it was a Greek city state in the um, south southeastern uh, uh, Mediterranean. And um, he went to travel to Athens and they spoke on uh, the Stoa. That's where mm. they come, Stoicism. Mm. And, uh, but we don't have uh, full texts from the, classic, the early Stoics like Zeno or Chrysippus. And mm. uh, the texts we have, as we said, come from Epictetus, Seneca, and um, Marcus Aurelius. And we have some testimonies of what they believed from some doxographers later on. Let, um, let's talk about Epictetus. Yeah. So somehow he went to Rome. It's not known exactly how. And while still in service, Epictetus took courses with Musonius Rufus, the fashionable Stoic philosopher who was fascinated by the sincere and dynamic personality and of Epictetus and trained him as a philosopher. Now, Epictetus was a slave. And this is where it becomes a bit interesting because Stoicism is a philosophy that appealed to people of all social classes. And it and it's fun because two of the most famous Stoics are completely different in their social status. Mm. Uh, Epictetus was a slave. Marx Aurelius was the emperor of Rome. Mm. And one of the uh, one of the strong emperors. It's Rome was really 
wasn't Rome at, uh, in a really powerful state at that point? Yeah. I mean, he was one of, if not arguably, the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. Um, I find that interesting. I mean, even Seneca as well was extremely wealthy yes. and extremely powerful among the most powerful men in the world. He had the ear, at least for a while, of, of Nero, of the emperor. So, well, was he an advisor to Nero? And I think you did to an begin e with for he, a little bit of time. Yeah, he, he yeah. killed. He said that uh, Nero, uh, Seneca should be killed. Sorry, what Nero? Yeah, yeah. Nero in the end, yeah, insisted Seneca kill himself. Yeah, um, no, but yeah. Seneca was extremely rich. He's yes. like had a fabulous wealth, yeah, and uh, uh, to varying degrees was very, very powerful. Uh, but Marcus Aurelius, yeah, as emperor of Rome during one of its zeniths. But the the interesting yeah. thing here yeah. is that uh, it shows that what people believe is not necessarily an outcome of the social class they feature in. You can have people having ideas reg regardless of their social status. It doesn't mean that necessarily your views are determined by your social class and, and that class's interests. Okay, um, so he became a free man at some point and began teaching philosophy on street corners. And during the rule of Domitian, uh, he and many other philosophers were exiled by Ro from Rome, and he went to Nicopolis in Epirus, uh, in the in the northwestern part of uh, Greece, and he established there his own school. and He was teaching in a way the Stoic way of life, and the way he saw it. and He never wrote things like Socrates. He never wrote. Uh, what we have by Epictetus is actually written by and compiled together by Flavius Arian, who's the famous historian. He wrote also the, um, the conquests of Alexander. Mm. And uh, Flavius Arian was very much impressed by Epictetus and he compiled, he wrote down many notes from what Epictetus was saying. And he, these notes compiled, were compiled to the Enchiridion, the handbook of Stoicism and the discourses. So, Epictetus didn't write. He was purely concerned with teaching and his students and, and uh, Flavius Arian was uh, writing notes from him. So what we have today from Epictetus is actually compiled by Flavius Arian, right. who listened to him. So just to say I'm um, a big fan of Arian. He's my favorite account of the campaigns of Alexander. Yeah. I've read that half a dozen times easily. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of Arian, I must say, but nice. I just want to add that. Okay. So, and one thing to say, generally speaking about Stoicism, Stoicism was very interesting and very um, influential. And as an attitude, many people think that it's, it was really impressive. And especially in the medieval period and in the early Renaissance, there was a... There, there was a really strong emphasis on Stoicism. So from antiquity, we had the schools, at, at least when it, come, when it came to Hellenistic ethics, the ethics that come after Aristotle. The main two figures are Epicurus and Epicureanism and the Stoics. And the, the Christian church misrepresented Epicurus. They, mm. misre they misrepresented him as a hedonist mm. in the sense of someone who went around uh, pleasures he wasn't exactly that. 
he did think that pleasure was an important part of life, but he was not uh, advocating debauchery. Right, yeah, still in moderation. Yes, right, but yeah. uh, Stoicism was supposed to be a bit more um, uh, healthy and a bit more um, important. Well, isn't it the case that sort of, um, four of the main virtues that Stoics say you should sort of um, cultivate in yourself Courage, justice, wisdom, and temperance. Yes. It's sort of self-denial, self-control, self-discipline, and moderation, like abstinence, you know, in quite a strong sense. You know, don't indulge yes. really yeah. at all. These are the four possible. cardinal virtues that many thinkers uh, thought that they, uh, were the integral part of eudaimonistic ethics. The ethics where eudaimonia or flourishing is the ultimate goal. Whereas didn't Epicurus say, you know, drink wine, but you know, yeah. it's still in moderation, but if you yes. want to drink some wine, drink some wine. If yes. that's going to make you happy, yes. that's fine. If you want to have some sex, yes. go ahead, as yes. long as it's in moderation. Yes. But you know, uh, so you can see at least um, in a sort of low resolution view, you can say, well, he's a hedonist yes. and, and he's a sort of a temperate, it's very temperate. Um, uh, yeah, I think the motive behind uh, presenting Epicurus as a, an advocate of debauchery was his uh, philosophical materialism. Right. It was seen to be a sort of threat to the doctrines of the church. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, to be fair, I mean, it, it, materialism is not necessarily consistent. It doesn't seem to me to be consistent with uh, with uh, belie belief in divine, in the divine, at least in the way that Christianity understands it. And that was, I think, the main motive. Right. And, yeah, okay. yeah, and maybe uh, materialists of uh, future epochs were referring to Epicurus and uh, maybe they wanted to find him guilty by association because very frequently when it comes to the battle of ideas, when uh, one side doesn't want to engage in extended argumentation with the other side, they frequently want to present the other side as being completely wrong. Mm. One of the ways mm. of doing that is to say, okay, what are the philosophical underpinnings? What are the philosophical foundations of the beliefs propagated by the other side, let's reject them and let's present them as wholesale mm. or entirely wrong. Mm. Reject them wholesale. Mm. 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 So that was the, let's close that tangent by okay. uh, about Epicurus. And uh, one thing to say, Stoicism was particularly valued by Scot the thinkers of Scottish Enlightenment, such as Adam Smith and David Hume. Right. Hume. They really, yeah. they, they wrote highly of sto Stoicism. Uh, I don't think they were Stoics, but they wrote very highly of uh, Stoicism. And Adam Smith, who we will touch definitely on um, the future uh, videos, he said that uh, self-control and a sort of Stoic attitude is a sort of um, virtue. And people tend to lose it in societies that develop much, mm. and, they, and that, that's to their detriment. For a future, if I could be penciled in for the David Hume episode, I'd, okay, I'd be interested yeah. in that. Can I do Hume? Um, okay. Yeah, because as I say, I've got some fairly profound criticisms of Stoicism and some specific ones we'll get into, but still there's big chunks of it, big whole parts of the f very foundations of Stoicism are good. Yes. I really do think so. Like the idea of having courage yes. in life, in all sorts of ways, to be brave, to have endurance and strength and fortitude uh, to approach things with sort of integrity and clarity. There's nothing wrong with any of that. 
Yeah. That's brilliant. Uh, you know, it's it really all about is the middle ground. Where where lies moderation? Right. Well, I think that I think, yeah. we'll get to it, I suppose, but yes. that is the key. Where, where do you draw the line on these things? For example, one of the other key tenets is um, justice. Again, brilliant. To be fair and honest yes. and fair-minded, to be essentially good or kind, whatever that really means to you. That's great, isn't it? If everyone lived their life like that, there would, the be, there is, would be far, far fewer problems in the world if everyone lived like that. But I, I'm not exactly certain about this for one reason, because it seems to me that when we say, okay, be good, be just. <laughs> right. And nebulous. people, the thing is, how do we understand goodness and yeah, how do we right. understand justice? Of course. And there are yeah. many people who understand it differently. Right, yeah. And sometimes yeah, yeah. maybe we need the opposite. We need <laughs> a sort of... Uh, a sort of framework where we can coexist with people who have different views of what the good life consists in. I think right, that's, a, right. that's a feature of the modern world that personally I think is uh, good to an extent. I think obviously right. if society tends to disintegrate, desperate, time need, desperate times need desperate measures. But I think that generally speaking, that's a good way of going about it. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right though. I mean, yeah. what are the definitions of these things? If your idea of justice is that an apostate gets executed without question, well, yeah. that's a, to, to, to the West, that's a sort of yeah. a twisted sense of justice, isn't yeah. it? That's, that's, not, that's, that's not just, um, that's not fair. Um, but yeah, also the idea of wisdom, you know, that to use logic and study and all these types of things. There's not absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's a brilliant way to live your life, really. One of the f things that I want to get across with the symposium series is that we really need a sort of Aristotelian notion of wisdom that is a bit more anarchic than the top-down notions of wisdom that many systematists are trying to put forward. Aristotle does okay. allow for the idea that we can have we have limits to what we can systematize and that there may be cases for a situated judgment where we require wisdom. And it seems to me that this is particularly potent with respect to in finding where something should be, is healthy and where is not. So for instance, instead of saying ah, stoicism, reject it wholesale, or Epicureanism, embrace it wholesale, let us focus on what it is supposed mm. to be about and see when it is the, go the pros and cons of each position. This seems mm, to me mm. to be much more sophisticated mm, mm. and it seems to me to lead to a sort of intellectual growth that I think is a, a key part of flourishing, at least mm. the way I see it. So should we mm, go absolutely. to the uh, to the text by Epictetus and discuss sure. some quotes? Sure. So let's talk about the first quote. I think that is really good and pithy. So. Um, we, we read, of things, some are in our power and others are not. In our power, our opinion, movement towards a thing, desire, aversion, turning from a thing, and in a word, whatever are our acts. Not in our power are the body, property, he means uh, possessions, reputation, offices, like magisterial powers, and in a word, whatever are not our acts. And the things in our power are by nature free, not subject to restraint or hindrance. But the things not in our power are weak, slavish, subject to restraint in the power of others. Remember then that if you think the things which are not, which are by nature slavish to be free, and the things which are in our, in the power of others to be your own, you will be hindered. hindered. 
you will lament, you will be disturbed. You will blame both gods and men. But if you think that only that only, which is your own, to be your own, and if you think that what is another's, as it really is, belongs to another, no man will ever compel you. No man will ever hinder you. You will never blame any man. You will accuse no man. You will do nothing involuntarily. No man will harm you. You will have no enemy, for you will not suffer any harm. So I think that's a brilliant quote. But again, we see that it's a mixed bag. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, so you can tell that his end, the, the sort of the end aim of it, is to never f be hurt. Yes. Well, on the most fundamental level, I, I feel like you, you, it's impossible to avoid that. They're really desperately trying. Stoics are desperately trying to avoid any disturbance in their psyche or something. Yes. It's like that's that's not going to be possible. I mean, that's also part of it as well. That's the sort of the contradiction is that they also accept that massively. It's a massive part of Stoicism, isn't it? Especially uh, more uh, Marcus Aurelius is accept, uh, realize that misery is inevitable yes. um, and accept it. So um, I just think I, it is really interesting, this idea that um, um, don't shy away from the sort of the reality that you're going to be disappointed um, and sorrowful, but in some way that's going to help you. I mean, it's, it is also true. I'm not denying it's not true. I d yes, I, I have just trouble. I have trouble with respect to thinking that this is moral. In what sense? I'm not saying that it has nothing uh, good about it, but it seems to me that, for instance, I wouldn't want not to feel sorrow mm. when some of my people have uh, misfortune. Mm, face right. misfortunes yeah so and i was thinking for instance it just came to my mind there's a novel by albert uh, Camus called the stranger mm. and i think at some point is there is it in the beginning where uh tell us in the comments if uh, we got it wrong is there in the beginning where at some point where his mother dies and he feels nothing yeah i read that a long time ago and i can't remember it very well and then he um, goes on something and, like that and yeah. shoots someone at a, just because he was bored or something yeah, so that's how weird. It's one of those things, you know, when you've seen yeah. a film, you've yeah. definitely sat through that, and then you can't really remember anything in it. Yes. Unfortunately, the straight—that's the case for me with the stranger. But, um, but if that's the case, if that's the case, it seems to me that that's not a moral person. It's right. Yeah. So I mean, there is more yeah, pain if odd. we have two scenarios. Let's say, let's forget the novel. Maybe I got it wrong. But if we have two scenarios, we have one person who does not lament about the death of, let's say his mother, and another person who does lament about the death of his mother, it seems to me that that may be weird, but it seems to me that the second person is a better person. So in a way, in some case, the, the, the second person, the person who laments is more disturbed, but I don't think that it's a virtue not being disturbed. Right, yeah. So yeah. it seems to me that uh, Stoics may be fetishizing uh, maybe fetishizing lack of emotion. Yeah, so again, it's like, to what degree, where do you draw the line? That's that's yes. sort of my fundamental problem with Stoicism, yes. is that when people try to apply it um, across the board or where they draw the line, where they sort of, you'd have to sort of pretend you're not feeling the emotions anymore. Yes. Okay, so like, again, this idea of being stuck in traffic. Yes. It, it, it is sort of possible and definitely desirable to just, 
allow the frustration to just slip away from you. It's totally possible and it's for the best. But to do the same with the death of your own child or the death of your parent or anyone you love, your wife or husband or anything, um, it's, it's not, it's not n good. It's not normal. It's not moral. Yes. Um, it's not healthy. I wouldn't have thought, um, you know, so, uh, but they do that, but that is specifically what the Stoics say. You know, they say things like, um, um, you know, always be, re always remember whenever you kiss your wife or something, remember she's immortal and she might die so that when it happens, you won't be too upset. I think that is odd to me. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's great. Um, don't love, basically don't love your children too much. Don't get too attached to your own children because they might die. I mean, I just don't think that's correct. I just don't. Yeah. I, I don't think either. Um, and it seems to me that there are various things here. There are various levels on one, on one, on the one hand, I think it is good to meditate on human um, mortality. Mm. And mm. I don't think there is anything wrong with rem with being constantly reminded of it, with constantly thinking of it. It could give us a sort of compass, let's say, uh, a, re a healthy reminder that we are not going to live forever, our people are not going to live forever, and we should basically not postpone being good to them, them being good to us. And also we should not we should not live lives that we could say are a bit inauthentic, where we constantly bracket things and our values and our, let's say, aspirations because we think that we're going to live forever. And then at some point we wake up and we're too old mm. and we cannot do any of that. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that that's healthy. but it, And it is consistent with caring about your wife caring about your children and wanting to prolong their life. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know what the Stoics would say about the latter part, but definitely I think that it is fair to say that to an extent they do have something important to say here. And especially meditating on our mortality. To an extent, and, yeah, yes. Absolutely. So it's not up to us whether we will live forever or not. We won't. Right. Yeah. But it yeah. we could say that it is up to us as to whether we live a little longer or live a bit better. So it seems to me that we could extract the the good things from Stoicism as an attitude Absolutely. and uh, uh -huh. keep them and maintain them and integrate them into another, let's say, ethic that is a bit more understanding of human beings and incorporates emotion in it a bit better. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.